are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. As I stand here today and look at the altar, and I think back over all the sermons I've heard preached, all the worship services I've been a part of, some Nerf Wars, but most importantly, I reflect about giving my life to God in these altars. My calling affirmed and direction given. And today, my hope and prayer is that someone will repent and turn their life over to Jesus Christ. That a soul will be saved and that someone will take on the name of Jesus, take on his power and walk in victory. Just as our worship service said, there is healing in this place. There is power in this place today for anyone and everyone who is willing to come. And the reason these altars have such life-changing power is because of that name. Because of Jesus. Because Jesus has been preached behind this pulpit with an undying desire to see the world saved. That the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ was preached to the lost. The necessity of water baptism in Jesus' name. The receiving of the Holy Ghost with speaking in other tongues. I am thankful for the legacy and heritage of the Calvary Church. And while at IBC, I always wondered, what must we preach the lost to be saved? What, what, what sermon can we orate? What, what can we do to preach the lost saved? And the Lord you know, directed me to Scripture. Because that's where the answers are. To everything in life, God's word is where we shall stand. And the Lord spoke, and, it, and, he, and he said to me that it is not I, but it is God in me who saves. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul directs us to preach Christ crucified. And I believe that is what I'm here today to do. When I was asked to preach, I was so excited. And then I realized I was asked to preach. Man, that was a roller coaster of emotions. And it is the greatest request I have ever had. But I thought to myself, I need the greatest sermon, the greatest illustration. I need to preach the house down. I need to stand on pulpits. I need to walk on pews. And then absolutely nothing came to mind for weeks. And I said, God, I need you to speak. And that's when God began to humble me. And then, of course, mom said to hit my knees. And I don't know why I'd never do that in the first place. I don't know why I just don't talk to mom and listen to her. <laughs> but as I hit my knees and sought after God, he began to speak. God began to speak to me slowly, and God formed thoughts and brought scriptures to my mind. So before we go any further, I'd like us to pray. For those listening online, wherever you may be, seek after God in this place. But I believe God has a plan for today. That there is a purpose and God's will will be done in it. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Oh, God, we thank you for this opportunity to simply be in your presence, God. To have the freedom and the liberty to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, you have met us already in this place, God. But I believe and know that you have something more for us, God. Oh, that someone will come into these altars and surrender their life to you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Oh, mighty God. 
Almighty God. In Jesus' name. Genesis chapter 3, 9 through 15. God created the heavens and the earth, and all that was good. Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God with freedom and liberty. But they had one thing. Don't eat of the fruit. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the enemy was there, seeking whom he may devour. In Genesis 3, 9 through 15 reads, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And verse 15 reads, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And this is where I want to focus on today. It continues to read, It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Thou shalt, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You are going to be bruised in life. You will be wounded in life. And it's never because of God. It is never because God is tempting you or God is giving you more than you can handle. But it is because the enemy is deceitful. Eve says, he beguiled me, he deceived me, he tricked me. But God says, we will have victory. Amen? We will have victory. We may be bruised, but we will crush the enemy's head. Victory, an act of defeating an enemy or opponent in a battle, game, or other competition. Victory is something we all desire. Being a Cincinnati sports fan, it's even tougher. I can't imagine being a Browns fan, though. But I'm proud during my tenure at TCA to be a part of one of the greatest basketball teams in TCA history. There's a little asterisk next to it for some where it says we played fifth graders, but they weren't there. In 2015, we got to cut the net, and now the trophy will forever reside among TCC's other incredible victories and trophies earned from quizzing. The Calvary Church truly has the greatest and longest quizzing legacy in history. Although my second home has a fairly good quizzing program as well, you should see our quizzing rooms. EPC, though, has the second greatest quizzing legacy, and I'm terrified for nationals, that if TCC and EPC meet at nationals again, I'll be so torn. But I'm desiring victory. We may be bruised, but we may crush the enemy. 
And I got this weekend, um, life is very busy for all of us. But I got to be a part of our first quizzing tournament, junior quizzing tournament in Dallas. And um, our first victory was a good one because we got a bye. <laughs> but I sat during our quiz two hours after being there. And, our, and we have nine juniors, and they get so bored. I was sitting behind the quiz team, and I was so nervous for them. I was shaking, keeping score. And then we came out victorious, and it was a wonderful thing. Because everyone wants to walk away a victor. And as I was studying victories in the subject, wounded victors, and that is my title today, wounded victors, I came across this phrase, and it's spelled really weird, spelled P-R-Y-Y-H-I-C, and I think it's Pyrrhic, Pyrrhic victory. A Pyrrhic victory is a victory that inflicts such a devastating toll on the victor that it is tantamount defeat. Most of the time you see pirate victories in times of war, of battle, where the victor has lost so many soldiers and whatnot. And as I was studying this, I found the Battle of Bunker Hill as listed number three on the history.com, top five pirate victory, pirate wars battles. The Battle of Bunker Hill was a turning point of the Revolutionary War. The colonists were just a group of ragtag misfits doing their best to defend its country its young country, led by inexperienced and young generals, the British felt they had victory in their sights, which in reality, they did succeed. They did take over Bunker's Hill, which in reality may have been Breed's Hill. We weren't there. Because the history of Bunker Hill is a little cloudy. But what we know is that the British had over 2,000 trained troops, and the young colonists had just over 1,000 troops untrained, unorganized, but united. The difference was that the colonists had territorial advantage. They, the landscaping of Bunker's Hill, it was a big hill, but to get there, it was treacherous. And so the British would send a wave, and because they couldn't get a clear shot, the colonists took them off one by one. But the issue was the colonists were running out of ammo, they didn't have enough supplies. And so the British sent another wave and lost. And this is when their general told them, before the third wave came, don't fire until you see the whites of their eye. The British had gotten so close that they began fighting with their bayonets. bayonets. But due to lack of supplies, the colonists had to flee and surrender Bunker Hill. This was a lose-win, though, for the young country. They were bruised, but at the end, they had victory. The colonists only lost roughly 400 soldiers, but their confidence was boosted, and they had the morale that they could have victory over the British. And this was a pirate victory for the British, because while they did overcome Bunker's Hill, they did take the land that they were trying to. They suffered over 1,000 casualties. They may have won the battle, but their loss was so great, it gave advantage to the colonists because they had to surrender all of Boston later on in the Revolutionary War. But the devil attempts to battle us daily, knowing he has already lost the war. 
knowing he has no victory in sight, but he is seeking whom he may devour. Every single day we walk this world. And you may stumble, you may feel bruised, but you are a victor in Jesus' name. God spoke that the enemy may bruise our heel, but we will ultimately bruise his head. We have put Satan under our feet. Amen. Paul, one of the greatest preachers, pastors, missionaries, was also one of the greatest sufferers for Christ. From the time of his conversion, he was cast out of his homeland because he was once a Pharisee. He was once a studied scholar who was respected by his peers. But once he took on the name of Jesus, once he met God face to face, he was turned away from his homeland in Tarsus. He was not accepted right away by the apostles either because they couldn't believe such a cruel and wicked man could come to God. That he could be sincere about his salvation. But Paul understood that with all of this persecution and betrayal, he knew he would be wounded, but he knew he had victory in Christ. After you take on the name of Christ in baptism and receive his Holy Spirit, you may fight some of your toughest battles. Because the enemy doesn't want you getting closer to God. Because he knows he can't beat God. He knows he can't beat the cross where Christ died for all of us. And the enemy will do anything to cause you to give up that victory. He will bruise your heel. He will wound you every chance he gets. But if you stand with God, and by his grace and strength, you will destroy the enemy and have victory. Paul talks about grace in such a different way than everyone else. He says, your grace is sufficient for me. It's not that grace is salvation, but to Paul, grace was strength. Knowing that God died on a cross to give us grace. To be encouraged to walk this life. Fight the good fight. As much as I wish I could say life is perfect after you receive salvation, it's not. But I'll tell you, you will have peace, joy, love, and the fruits of the Spirit that God has promised each of us. But you also have a new target on your back. For Satan is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But today I'm here to tell you, you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on your side. You can put your faith and trust in the one who won it all. Because God died for each of us. Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 21. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And Paul was a wonderful writer. But when you read about Paul, he has a very strange history of who he was because he went through so much. You don't know if it was him physically writing it or one of his aides. And starting in verse 12, it reads, Paul's writing and says, I want you to know, brothers, that was what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is informing the Philippians about his current situation in Rome, where he's bound by chains, imprisoned but not silenced. Indeed, some believers are ironically made more confident to share the gospel because of Paul's chains. Paul here explains one of the ironies of the Christian life. What looks like utter defeat turns out to be victory. But only in God's hands. Only by the Spirit and the prayers of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that his life is nothing of his own. That trial and persecution is not against him alone, but it is for God's glory because the gospel is being shared. For that is our earthly duty is to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation, of the death, burial, and resurrection. For we are all called to be disciples. Paul's confidence in God, even through imprisonment, beatings, with the constant thorn in his side, he suffered trial after trial. Yet his testimony and example has emboldened members of the church to go out and promote the gospel. Revelations 12 and 11 says that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Just as Paul testified of God's grace and mercy while in chains, he furthered the gospel being preached. When we, while in the midst of storms and trials, can testify of how good God is, we are proclaiming the victory of God in Jesus' name. When we can worship God in these altars while dealing with sickness, when we can worship these altars while dealing with the loss of friends and family, when our homes are broken, when our jobs are failing, and we can come into these altars and give God all the glory, that is when true victory comes in. And when you share people the goodness of God and they look at you and they say, well, your life is broken. How can you serve a God when your life is like this? And you say that it is not God but it is the salvation and the grace of mercy that is keeping me through all of this. For God has given us victory. Amen. Joseph, the son of Israel, was favored by his father and had it all. He had heritage. He had money. He had a future. And he found favor in God's eyes. Joseph, the son of Israel. As a young man, he heard from God in a vision. That one day he would lord over his own family, the youngest of all brothers. Even though he was loved by his father's father, his brothers hated him for this. And even his father questioned that vision he had. And the brothers hated him so much that they faked his death and sold him into slavery. All Joseph wanted to do was to serve God and be righteous. All Joseph wanted to do was to live for God. 
But when you look at that, you look at the defeat that Joseph is suffering. To be sold into slavery, what a loss. How could your vision come to pass being a slave to Egypt? But then Joseph finds favor again in his master's home, the home of Potiphar. And Potiphar entrusted him with everything in his home. But when Potiphar was gone and Joseph was alone, Potiphar's wife was the enemy. She attempted to come on to Joseph, but he fled. But she grasped his garment. And Potiphar's life, being the deceiver and liar and the worker of the enemy, lied. And so Potiphar sent Joseph into prison. Again, another loss. More defeat to be added in to the list of defeats. What seems like one defeat after another for Joseph, God was working it out for good. He was. But while in prison, again, Joseph finds favor. He sees victory on the horizon. He finds favor with the, the guards. And he meets two fellow inmates who, who seem stirred. And, and Joseph asks them, what, what seems to be the matter with you two? And the one man says, the cupbearer says, I've had a dream. And Joseph interprets it and gives him a good interpretation. That in three days he will be serving the Pharaoh again. And be in the Pharaoh's house. And then the baker comes and shares him his dream. And then Joseph says, not so good of an interpretation. Joseph says, you will be dead in three days. But both of those interpretations did come to pass. And Joseph told the cupbearer, remember me in Pharaoh's house. Remember me in Pharaoh's house. But scripture reads that the cupbearer forgot him. What Joseph thought was his way out. What Joseph thought was victory was again loss. Joseph again suffers a wound. And then the Pharaoh has a dream. And none of his men can interpret it. But he hears of a prisoner who can interpret dreams. And he calls for him. Joseph then comes face to face with Pharaoh and interprets his dream of a seven-year um, good crops and, and then seven years of famine. Pharaoh then places Joseph over the crops and over all of the goods. Joseph is second in command to protect Egypt from the famine. Because of Joseph's dedication to serve God and his faith that God would take care of his dreams, Joseph receives his victory. After all the endless defeats, Loss after loss after loss. God's will is finally being accomplished in Joseph's life. Because he was dedicated to God. And because of this famine, his brothers travel all the way from his hometown in search of food and goods. Joseph is seeing his dream come to pass day by day. As he is now second in command over Egypt, he envisions himself lording over his brothers. Yet Joseph extends grace and mercy to the ones who beat him and sold him into slavery. Joseph understood grace. He understood forgiveness. And after Joseph gave them a test to see how they were, to see if they were truly changed, they brought his younger brother Benjamin and his father to the table to dine with Joseph. And I love reading Genesis 50. 
17 through 20. Joseph is, is speaking. Or it reads, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive. This is his brother speaking. Forgive, I pray thee now, because Israel has died. They have now buried, buried their father, and the brothers were afraid that Joseph would hate him, hate them. So the brothers are saying, Say shall ye unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of thy father and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I not in the place of God? Fear not, for has my vision not come to pass? Fear not, for is not God directing our steps? And verse 20 reads, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. What you thought was evil against you, God is meaning it for good. What his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. God is going to use every wound, every trial, every storm in terms for good. Just as Paul was in chains And his enemies thought they were bringing evil. The imperial guards were like, we've got Paul. He can't promote the gospel now. God was using it for victory. God meant the evil things for good. Although you are wounded, God is bringing victory. If the musicians will come, and coming to a close. But I believe God has something for each and every single one of us tonight today that if you have come into this place broken God is here with victory God prophesied it at the beginning of time that the enemy will bruise our heel that we will suffer wounds we will suffer defeat but we will bruise his head we may be wounded but we are promised victory we are wounded victors If we can all stand together. God is in this place to give you victory. I'd like to read Isaiah 53. 1 through 12. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, 
smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The prophecy of Christ's crucifixion is so powerful. When we ultimately thought all was lost. When we thought Christ has died. He was conquering death and hell. He was bringing back the true victory. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Jesus overcame death and took the keys from hell. This life is going to bruise you. You may stumble, fall, feel like you have lost. But when you take on the name of Jesus Christ in baptism, when you become a new creation and Christ fills you with his Holy Spirit, you inherit all the victory. Victory over death. Victory over sickness, anxiety, depression. You receive victory over fear, over sin. You receive victory over generational curses. You receive victory in your family. Victory with your jobs and finances. Victory over your past. You are no longer a slave nor bound by the things of this world. There is victory in this place. My family was wounded when my father died leaving my mom to raise two young boys, but God gave us victory in this place. This church has been wounded, but we serve a victorious God. When we feel like we've been defeated, when we feel like there is no coming back, I've gone too far. Look to the cross of Christ. Look to the cross of Calvary. Look to the death, burial, and resurrection. These altars are open. I I urge you to come because I believe God is making a call for the wounded. That if you have been bruised by this thing we call life, God is here to heal you and deliver you into your victory. That if you have been seeking after the Holy Ghost, God is here to fill you. And that we have water to baptize you and take on the name of Jesus. And I want to pray, God, Lord, we come before you humbly, God. Lord, we pour out ourselves, Lord. Lord, we have been hurt. Lord, we have gone through trial after trial. We have been wounded. But God, we claim your victory. Lord, we look to the cross at Calvary. We look to the power that was poured out. Oh, hallelujah. Touch each and every single one of us in this place, God. Oh, pour your spirit out. Let there be victory claimed in this place. Oh, let there be victory in this place, oh God. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.